The sermon text is the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, living in luxury every day. A beggar named Lazarus had been laid at his gate. Lazarus was covered with sores and longed to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Besides this, the dogs also came and licked his sores. Eventually, the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus at his side. He called out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in misery in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in misery. Besides all this, a great chasm has been set in place between us and you, so that those who want to cross from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He said, Then I beg you, Father, send him to my father's home, because I have five brothers, to warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. Abraham replied to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. The Gospel of our Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Lazarus goes to heaven. The rich man goes to hell. Needless to say, we want to go where Lazarus goes, and we want to avoid going where the rich man goes. So, let's watch both of these men carefully, and let's listen to them carefully, although only one of them speaks in the story. And let's ask God to help us. Let's ask God to help us by giving us a heart that is more and more like Lazarus's heart. And let's ask God to help us by driving out of our hearts and our lives any trace of the rich man. Jesus begins with a brief biography of these two men's lives in this world. He starts with just a very short one-sentence summary of the rich man's existence. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, living in luxury every day. So every day, he's dressed in expensive clothes, and he's living this rich, abundant lifestyle. But that isn't the problem. The wealth that he has is not his problem. The problem is that he lives for his wealth. You might think, well, a one-sentence biography. That's kind of a sweeping judgment to make just based on one sentence. But the truth of it becomes clear when you get to the two-sentence summary of the life of the beggar who lives at his gate. A beggar named Lazarus had been laid at his gate. Lazarus was covered with sores and longed to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. So our translation says that Lazarus was laid at the gate of the rich man. But that's a little too gentle. The verb actually means more like dropped or dumped. See, in that culture, 
the idea was to get undesirable looking people like Lazarus off of the main roads, out of public view, to put them in a place where they would be less visible. Yet there was still a little bit of compassion in this because you wanted to leave them in a place where they would be likely to get help. Say, for example, the gate of a rich man. That means if you were rich in this culture, it was your responsibility as a rich person to keep an eye out toward your gate where one of these people who needed help might be left and then you could sort of adopt them, take them under your wing and help them, but not this rich man. He offers Lazarus no help at all, which shows he's, he's living a life of no faith in God. He is living for his wealth instead of using his wealth to serve God and to serve others. Lazarus's life, though, is very different from the rich man's. Lazarus, he not only craves the food that falls to the ground in the rich man's house, but it, it's very unlikely that Lazarus is able to walk, which is why he was laid or dropped at the gate of the rich man. He's also covered in sores, and not to get overly graphic or to try to gross you out, but the term does tell you that the sores are open and ulcerous. So he is in pain. And feral dogs come and lick his sores, and there's actually disagreement about whether these dogs were a source of comfort or a source of annoyance to Lazarus. But whether he welcomed them or he was just too weak to shoo them away, the important thing to focus on is that the only creatures in this world who will come anywhere near Lazarus are stray dogs. And yet, Lazarus trusts in the Lord. The name Lazarus means God helps. And Lazarus lives in that truth. He waits for God to help with a patient, contented faith. He knows the rich man is never going to fill him with anything good, but he believes that God is going to help and God is going to fill him with all good things for eternity. So we don't hear about complaining or cursing or thieving in the life of Lazarus. He just waits in faith. He waits for God to help. I remember often hearing this story referred to as the rich man and poor Lazarus. And even the Bible in front of you in your pew makes the mistake, I think it is a mistake, of titling the story that way because it's worth noting how many times Jesus calls Lazarus poor. Zero. Of course, Lazarus is a beggar here in this world, but in the end, he is rich because he trusts God to help him, and God comes through and fills him with every good thing. Eventually, the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. There is no burial mentioned for Lazarus' body. Happily, he is beyond the point of caring, because the angels come and carry his soul to the side, or more literally, the bosom of Abraham. And this is the way that the Jews of Jesus' day pictured the glory of heaven. You had Abraham, who is the father of everyone who trusts in the Lord for help. Abraham, who was counted righteous through his faith in God's promise. He stands at the head of heaven, and he welcomes and embraces everybody else who trusted in God to help. God helps. Lazarus patiently trusted that truth, and in the end, God fills him with every good thing. As Abraham will say later, now he is comforted here. In the end, God helps, 
everyone who trusts his promises. Meanwhile, the rich man, his time with his wealth runs out. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus at his side. So, the rich man's wealth helps him one more time by giving him a dignified burial, but that is the last help it can give him. Because he did not trust in God for help, now he spends eternity separated from God. And we pray, God, help us. God, help us by forgiving us for any time that we have lived like that rich man when we have served our wealth instead of using it to serve you and to serve the people around us. And God, help us. Give us faith like Lazarus, faith that waits with patience, with contentment for you to help us in the end. And God, help us by keeping your promise to us the same way you kept it to Lazarus, taking us to heaven to fill us with every good thing. So the curtain drops on act one of Jesus' story, and then it lifts on the second and final act, and in this half of the story, too, God will help. In this half of the story, God helps us by giving us what we need to trust in him, to turn to him for eternal help. The rich man called out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in misery in this flame. So would you say that the rich man is sorry now. In a sense, I think he's sorry. He's sorry that he is in hell. But notice that even now, the rich man's primary concern is his own comfort and his own relief. He does have five brothers who are still alive, and eventually he will get around to expressing concern for his brothers. But even now, even in hell, it's him first. It is too late for his heart to change. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in misery. Besides all this, a great chasm has been set in place between you and us so that those who want to cross from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. So God has flipped the script on this situation in the most striking way. The beggar who trusts in God to help, gets filled with every good thing for eternity, and the man who has everything in this world spends eternity in misery. But he does now understand a few things. It's too late for him to change his mind. It's too late for him to repent and to look to God for help. But he has five brothers who are still alive, and so for them it's not too late, and he does care about them, he doesn't want them to end up where he is. He wants them to repent, to turn and look to God for help. The problem is he just doesn't understand how that's going to work. He said, I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's home because I have five brothers to warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Yes, this is the ticket. Abraham, we must shock my brothers into believing. Send somebody back from the dead and then they will repent. That's what will help. But Abraham understands 
That's not how God does this. This is not how God helps people by turning them to him. Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. So without God's work, without his help, no sinful person is ever going to repent. God has to work that in our hearts so that we turn and look to him for the eternal help that we need. And his word is how God does that. The law and the prophets is another way of saying the Bible, the word that had been written up to that point. In his word, in the Bible, God shows us the eternal help that he offers us. See, without God's word, without the Bible, you look around yourself at the world and you see a lot of beautiful and amazing things in our world. You also see a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, and a lot of death. And without God's word, you'd be left wondering, why? Why does the world have to be this way? Why does everything have to be so difficult? And in his word, God helps you. He explains to you why it is this way. It is because we are sinful creatures. We are fallen and we have cracked his creation. Now I realize up to this point, none of this sounds real helpful. It just sounds depressing. But it actually is helpful because if you don't understand what your problem is, you're never going to look for help or for the right kind of help. And then in his word, God also explains to us the eternal help that he gives us in his son, Jesus Christ. In his word, God declares his love for the world and then he proves it by sending his son. And Jesus Christ is God's eternal help in the flesh. There is no higher help than giving sinful people the perfection that they need to enter heaven and receive Abraham's embrace. This is God's highest help to drape over our shoulders the righteousness of our Savior Jesus, so that we will enter heaven's glory. You look in God's word, you see the highest help of God's Son climbing Calvary and bleeding and dying for the sins of the whole world. When Jesus does that, he's suffering through hell in our place. He's going through hell so that we do not have to. And because Jesus rose on Easter, he is even going to help us out of our graves on the last day. He is going to raise up to glory everyone who trusted in him, whether they were buried in linen or buried in unmarked graves. Jesus Christ is God's help for eternity, and his word is where we find him. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to, goes to them, they will repent. This rich man, he's thinking the way that a lot of people think. We need signs. We need wonders. We need miracles. We need visits from dead people. And then people will believe. Because you know, the word of God, whatever it may say, it is just words. And that's not going to help. That's not going to change anybody. Now, Abraham says, signs and wonders, that's not going to work. Abraham replied to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. And Abraham is right. No amount of visible, eye-popping power is ever going to change anyone's mind to trust in Jesus, to look to God for help. And actually, Jesus himself proves that to be the case. 
Because just before Jesus entered Jerusalem to suffer and die for our sins, he did raise somebody from the dead, a man named Lazarus, appropriately enough. And many unbelievers saw Jesus do this. They could not deny that he did it. And what did they say? Did they say, oh my goodness, he was right all along. Let's all repent and put our trust in him as the son of God. No, they still didn't believe. Even after someone rose from the dead, and even after Jesus himself rose from the dead, they did not believe. Jesus Christ is God's help for eternity. And the word is where we find him. The word is where God raises up faith so that we will go where Lazarus went. So we pray again, God help us. God help us by forgiving us for any thinking like that rich man that you really ought to use eye-popping power to make people believe. And if you only did, then more people would. God help us. God, turn us to your word to find your eternal help. Strengthen the faith in our hearts. Make it more and more like the faith of Lazarus, the faith that waits for your help. And then God, take us where you took him, to heaven's embrace where you fill us with every good thing. God helps. He helps us for eternity in his son, Jesus Christ. He helps by giving us the word working faith in our hearts. And in the end, he will help us just like he helped Lazarus, bringing us to Abram's embrace, every good thing. Thank God for all of his help. Amen.